You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags to the nation's iconic landscapes and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast. This is your host, Peter Horgan. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you all have enjoyed your fall season, or I guess still enjoying your fall season. I'm certainly not where where I am in southwest Colorado, definitely transitioning into winter mode here. But uh, for those folks that are in Tennessee, I hope you are. I hope you all are still enjoying your fall season because that's where my two guests are called in from today. I had the absolute pleasure of discussing what's coming out of the southeast with. Cody Roney, the former executive director of the Southeastern Climbers Coalition and the current executive director of the SC, of the SCC, Andrea Hassler, who recently took over for Cody. They were both excellent guests, super informative, and I walked away just blown away by what this organization has going on. They are the epitome of a well-oiled machine, a well-oiled LCO that's doing some really impressive work and has done impressive work over the years. But before we dive into the conversation with them, just a couple business items. I think for the first time, I might have a couple business items for you all. But first up is if you haven't heard the news, the podcast is now available on Spotify. So that makes four platforms where you can find the show either on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or the Access Funds website. So you can check it out on whatever one you prefer to listen through. And item number two is I wanted to recap of the this year's Access Fund um, Advocate Annual Advocate Summit that took place in Seattle uh, back in October. This year, the Access Fund really put in the effort to expand the topics of their workshops to include topics like managing climbing on native lands, which there may be a podcast coming up soon on that topic, hint, hint, and climate change and how to use Google tools to enhance and communicate the work of your LCO, among several among several others. Year after year, the, the workshops are fantastic. And this year, I was really impressed by those, by those few that I got to sit in on and, and listen and listen to. And it was another yet another year of awesome keynote speakers, Brittany Levitt from Brown Girls Climb, Mike Schaefer, who really doesn't need any introduction for him, and Nikki Smith. And I want to kind of highlight Nikki for a quick second. I got to say, she delivered a very powerful speech. You could hear a pin drop in that room. It was It was pretty moving. And if you haven't heard her story, I would suggest looking into it a little bit. It's a pretty incredible story about where she's come from to where she's gotten to today. I'm pretty sure a few tears were shed during her speech from the crowd, maybe including myself. I might have been pretty close. It was good stuff. And she just got recently elected to the board of the Access Fund, so it's really cool to see uh, her really join on with the with the leadership of this organization and finally, the last part of the summit was the Advocate Award winners. Each year for over 20 years now, the Access Fund has recognized and highlighted the incredible work from advocates from around the country that really have stood out from organizations, uh, individuals, and bolting efforts, and many, many other things. I think there was over 10 advocates being highlighted this year. So if you know someone that is deserving of an actual award, why don't you drop the Access Fund a line? And I'm sure they'd be interested in hearing about it. And we had the pleasure of talking to one of those award winners today, which we'll get here, get to here in just, just a little bit. 
So if you're involved with your LCO or looking to start one or whatever, this summit is the place to be. I'm pretty sure the cat's out of the bag, and next year's summit will be in Chattanooga, which is very appropriate for this episode. And if this conversation here doesn't get you psyched to get out to Chattanooga, I don't know what will, because I am very psyched to finally get down there. I've been to the Red. That's the only place in the southeast that I've been to, and Chattanooga's been very high on my radar for several years now. So next year, next fall, you'll see me there, and I hope to see you all there as well. Now on to the episode. I felt like this episode was more than just stories and accomplishments, although we did cover several of those. But I made sure to ask some deliberate questions to Cody and Andrea to be able to help out other LCOs. And they were able to highlight the skills that it takes and the capacity one needs to run an LCO. It's it's a lot. You need to to take on a lot of work to effectively run a local climbing organization. So we jumped into project funding, how to build membership, fostering partnerships, and these partnerships can range, can really range uh, across the board from local organizations and businesses, volunteers, and even county commissioners up at the higher level of government. Um, so get get creative in your partnerships. And creativity was a theme that was covered several times, that was brought up several times during our conversation. So let me step aside and let's get on with it. Please enjoy my conversation with Cody Rohde and Angia Hassler. Thanks everyone for tuning in to episode 13. I'm joined today by two ladies coming out of the Southeast, uh, Cody Roney and Andrea Hassler. Welcome to the show, to the both of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is this is awesome. I'm so psyched to get you both on. Cody, welcome back to the show, I should have said. Um, you're my second repeat guest behind Brian Tickle. Oh yeah, that's right. We met at the Axis Fund. Yeah, that was a year ago. That was yeah, yeah, that, was, that was episode one. I can't believe it's already been a year. So I'm really wow. excited to have you back on and and uh, Andrea, on a year. Yeah, thanks so much. I, yeah, it's kind of a reality check, and and I'm super excited. It's still around and still going strong. Andrea, I think we had talked about doing a podcast in the past when you're still on the stewardship or on the conservation team, but you're in a, in a brand new role now, which we will absolutely dive into here in a little bit. But yeah, I'm super psyched to have you both on the show today, and having both of you take the time out of your travels to chat for a bit. It's greatly appreciated because you're both in Atlanta right now, right? Actually, no, I ended up not going to Atlanta. Ah, okay. I left Andrea to her own devices today. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have going on in uh, Atlanta, Andrea? Oh, yeah. So uh, there was a meeting today with the Georgia Outdoor Recreation Coalition in downtown Atlanta. So I came to represent climbers and advocate for climbing in Georgia. Nice. One of our main goals is to establish a state office of outdoor recreation in Georgia. Oh, right on. So that would be, how many are there now? I think there's what, five or six or something like that? Yeah, I'm not not sure. Georgia just recently passed a a fund, I guess. It's called the uh, Georgia Outdoor Stewardship Program, but they now... Um, allocate $200 million a year um, for outdoor organizations, conservation efforts, um, state parks. It's like a pretty much like a grant program. So you can apply for funding. Okay. And so they're starting this coalition to kind of help different, you know, uh, conservation and recreation organizations figure out how to tap into that funding. And just the goal, the, it, I think the long-term goal is to try to get um, yeah, a staff person to kind of help manage those funds and where they go. Right. Where are those funds coming from? How are the, how are the, where, where's the um, grant? Uh, a tax. So okay. yeah. they've added a tax, like a recreation tax, essentially. Right. Just on like yeah, sporting goods kind of sale. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, right which on. is really cool. That is very cool. Yeah. There was a, you know, yesterday was election day and here in Colorado and there was one proposition on there for funds to come from uh, gambling and casinos to fund water conservation projects, huh. which is, I think it was pretty neat and yeah. well innovative. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. You see so does. little of that money actually leave your pocket, right? but yet it's going to this huge pot that everyone kind of gets a, hopefully gets a piece of. So you got, yep, exactly. Right. Right on. Well, cool. That was a nice little side conversation to get things going. Um, 
I'll bring it back a little bit. I think today's conversation is largely going to focus around the Southeastern Climbers Coalition. Cody, you ran it for a number of years and have since moved on recently. And now, Andrea, you've taken the reins to, to run the S, is it SECC or SCC? SCC. SCC. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, so it's a, a newer position for you. And Cody, you, you're with the local land trust, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, another digression here, but a small story or small world kind of story. The executive director for the land trust I work for used to be the land manager for Lula Lake Land Trust. No. Yep. Noel Durant. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. He said you, you guys had, I don't think you have officially That's met, so but he cool. definitely knows your name. We yeah, Exactly. We have not officially met. Yeah. I hear <laughs> lots about him and uh, he definitely left his mark on the Southeast in a good way. Uh-huh. So. Right, right. He's leaving his mark yeah. here in Crested Butte as well. That's awesome. Yeah. He's good. Is, uh, and Pat, is that his, the land manager's uh-huh. name? Yeah. Yep. He's like, he's like, I'm a good buddy. with Pat and I've, I've yep. heard Cody's name and so on and so forth. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, That's so, crazy. Small world. <laughs> right. Totally. He's, he's like, when I left the office today, he's like, you going to ch- chat with some Chattanooga folks? I'm like, yep. And he's like, you know, Chattanooga guy. He's super excited that I'm talking to you both today. That's awesome. Yeah. And one more like little tidbit. It's a little bit of a, um, a side, a side subject, but going along the lines of the SCC, when I got on the website to do some poking around and do some research this past week, I don't know who designed the website, if it was you, Cody, or what, if you had Definitely a graphic design. Me. Okay. <laughs> I was so, I was so impressed by it. Just it's like, so good, isn't it? It's so cool. And like the homepage with all the advocates' faces on there from the community, it just felt so like welcoming and warming and personable, you know? That was definitely the goal. Yeah. We worked with a local um, climber named Sydney Hill to do that website. And yeah, she did an incredible job. Oh, I was, I was yeah. blown away. Yeah. Yeah. She's still, she's still working on it actively. And, but yeah, it, it is, it, it makes you really psyched just getting on there and seeing all those faces. Yeah. It's felt different than any other LCA website I've been to. That's cool. She will, we will, we will share that with her. She will love to hear that. Yes. Please give her my praises for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's dive in here. The first thing I want to touch on is I want to acknowledge you, Cody, um, of being a climbing advocate award winner this year. And it was too bad you couldn't make it to the annual summit, but it was very appropriate for Andrea to step in and represent you at the award ceremony. So big congratulations on that leadership award. Thanks. Yeah, it was a big honor to get that. I hate that I couldn't make that journey. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was really cool to have Andrea there to to represent in her new role. And right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to have that little award sitting on a shelf right now in my it's like a little it's like a little brick right yeah 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 she actually managed to get it back in her suitcase (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna make you check your bag for that thing it's gonna weigh 20 pounds (laughs) right right that's like half the weight limit right there (laughs) well yeah congrats and you, you you received it because of your leadership and playing a critical role in a wide range of projects from stewardship to acquisition projects protecting places like hell's kitchen uh dogwood west and of course the SCC's largest acquisition, Denny Cove, which I really want to dive into some more since it was such a big project. This is the first time that I've covered such a large regional organization on the show. And the SCC covers about 40 climbing areas across three states. And I believe you told me in the first episode that you own nine of them. Is that still accurate? Uh, Yes. Well, I guess... Andrea, is that, did I include Denny? I, no, because last year we wouldn't have owned Denny either. So I think um, it does include Dogwood and Hill's Kitchen, which we're like in partnership with Access Fund, um, as those titles are in the Access Fund's mm-hmm. name, but we're like signed on in that right. acquisition. And then you just like a pay, like a payback kind of thing where they bought it and now the SCC is doing like that revolving loan program for Hill's Kitchen? Dogwood. Yeah, or for for any of those for any of those areas. So we we did the revolving loan fund for quite a few of our areas. Um, we have not quite had to do that with Dogwood and Hills Kitchen yet because we've had a lot of great funding come through. And well, actually, Andrew, you probably have the answer to that because that yeah. could have changed since I left. But as of when I left, we didn't have to have a loan for that. No, we've made donations on it, um, but we've got some great prospects for weight. 
where it may end up in the near to ish future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Denny Cove, we do, are we are still paying uh, access fund conservation loan on that acquisition. Gotcha. Right on. We're getting closer. Good. So, Good progress. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I imagine that the SCC has got to be one of the largest LCOs in the country. Um, like I said, it's the first regional organization. I've spoken with a couple guys from Washington and, you know, Seth and Mike from, uh, I guess, Seth from Vermont, like statewide organizations. But this is covers three states, Georgia, uh, Tennessee, and Alabama, right? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. huge. I mean, like the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Most of the lands that we own, the majority of them are actually in Alabama. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then you're working with... Four the, properties there. Yeah, you're working with a lot of different uh, land managing partners around Chattanooga, around Tennessee. Is that the same thing for Georgia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's several climbing areas throughout Georgia. We own one bouldering area just outside of Atlanta. Okay. Um, and then there's several other climbing areas, primarily in North Georgia. Gotcha. Right on. Well, Cody, how long did you spend uh, spend your time with SCC as the ED? Um, so I was ED for, um, I think, five years. Um, or We'll see. I think I was ED for seven years and development director before that for two. And I had one predecessor, I guess, as executive director, um, a guy named Michael. He set in uh, for about a year before I took over. And then he um, just got another job. And, and we were both part-time. So they hired Michael and I at the same time. We were the first employees gotcha. um, that SCC had had. But we got to a point, as you said, we are a really large organization because we cover three states and and not just one area. You know, we have such a, a big um, a lot, we just have so many climbing areas. So they hired us both on part-time. And then when he got a new job, we, you know, it kind of, we had realized that we were both pretty much working full-time on part-time pay because <laughs> there's so much to do. And so we didn't have the money to hire two people. So they just hired me on full-time, um, with the goal of hopefully within a few years, we'd hire on, um, so, you know, another staff or, hopefully more. So um, I was in that position sole by myself for the first few years. And then we got some grant funding. Gosh, it's probably been three years ago to hire like a project-based um, stewardship director. Right. So they unfortunately are not a full-time position, I think still to this day, but we hired them on at, to help with stewardship projects um, around the Southeast. And the goal is to kind of have enough funding to keep them full time every year, which right now I think we do. Um, and then they help out a lot or the, initially that person, um, Angie, who did that job when I was there, um, spent a lot of time on the ground in the field, building trails and hosting stewardship trail days and things like that. Gotcha. I imagine there's other LCOs out there that, you know, of course want to do the same thing. Where are you looking for these grants to hire these positions? Oh, it's kind of a variety. The That grant actually, because it wasn't to hire, it's hard to find grant funding to hire a position. That is close to impossible to find anymore. Um, it's it's kind of changing. There are organizations and foundations that are realizing that, oh, this is a huge part of what an organization does. So, um, But we were able to get the projects funded. Our first grant was through REI. and they, they funded a big project at Boat Rock. And so we were able to hire her to run that project specifically. And then we, you know, we look at, we have a few local foundations that are generally um, really supportive of any of our conservation networks in town. Um, they actually paid for my position when I was first hired, they gave us the funds to, um, hire our two part-time positions for two years. So that kind of like helped us get our feet on the ground. Gotcha. Yeah. So I would definitely look into local, local money, see if there's foundations or Mm -hmm. um, companies that would sponsor that. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So then, yeah, they're not being hired for a permanent position is more just project-based individually project-based. Yeah. Right. Well, in our position, my position was originally, it was hired on as a position, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of the goal was because they gave us two years of funding, it helped us take that time to figure out, um, to figure out how to make it ourselves, you know, so that okay. allowed me in, instead of working as a volunteer, you know, cause uh, probably everyone listening to this podcast is a volunteer for the most part. Right. It's hard when you have other jobs and families and things going on. Um, yeah, hundred percent. So it gave me the ability to say, okay, how can we sustain this position beyond this grant cycle? Um, whether it be through gr- other grants or events or private fundraising, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And for us, it turned into a combination of all of those. <laughs> right. Yep. Andrea, is, is your position, is, nothing has changed in that transition at all? Is, that, is the funding still the same? Yeah, it's, it's still the same. Um, and then we still have, I brought on, um, Angie actually got a position with another local conservation organization, the Tennessee River Gorge Trust. Yep. So she moved on around the same time I came in. And so a few months ago, I hired uh, another stewardship coordinator. Her name is Dana. She's wonderful. Um, and she works on our grant-funded positions. And I will add, um, one of the projects that's really great that we're working on is at Sand Rock, and that's actually funded by the park itself. Um, and they pay for the materials and the staff time to implement and coordinate the projects that we work on there. Awesome. So that's, that's a state park? It's a county park. In county Alabama. park. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right on. Yeah, we were actually able to bring the Access Fund Conservation Team to that park the past couple of weeks to work with Dana, our stewardship coordinator. Um, and that was partially... Um, we also got funding from the access fund from a grant to help pay on that project as well. Uh, so just kind of being creative, multiple sources and, you know, we, we still greatly leverage volunteers um, in that work. So that's a huge part of Dana and was a huge part of Angie's role is coordinating with volunteers and then leading them, educating them on how to use the tools, laying out the trail projects, planning the whole day. Um, so to Cody's point, you know, there's, it, it is hard to just fund a position, but uh, these are professional trail conservation specialists that are, um, skilled in their work. And so, um, you know, you can't really, you can't buy that without paying for somebody's time often. Right. I think it's the first time I've ever heard of a county park. Really. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really unique situation. Uh, not many county parks have the ability to fund stuff like that, but. Yeah, they and their fee for use is not very high. They just get a lot of a lot of traffic. A lot of people come through there and they also understand conservation, which a lot of a lot of parks don't. They're just like, how can we get as many people in here as possible? We don't care about the trails or the erosion. Um, they get it and they do care and they want to put their money towards that, which is really cool. Right, right. Well, I liked what you said. I uh, mentioned creativity, being creative. There's one thing I've learned so far in my work in land conservation is creativity. It's not always linear, black and white to acquire properties or exchange properties. Any kind of land acquisition will require some creativity. So thinking outside the box and what other resources you have to make that happen is very important. Mm-hmm. Could you run us through some other accomplishments, Cody, yeah. that uh, you're quite proud of during your time with SCC? Besides Denny Cove, I'm going to jump into that a little bit separately. Well, when I first came on, we had just purchased the hospital boulders in Alabama, which is a really cool boulder field and mm-hmm. one that was a huge win for climbing. Um, it was privately owned before and the landowner was not climber friendly whatsoever. Um, he was one of those Southerners that chased you off with a shotgun if he caught you on his property. So <laughs> um, when he put that up for sale, we were able to purchase that. And uh, when I came on, you know, we were paying off our loan to the access fund. And so we were able to fundraise just in that, you know, first year or two um, that I was with SEC, we were able to finish paying off that $80,000 loan. I think we had about 40 left at that point. Um, So that was really great. And Mm -hmm. we also were able to uh, grow our, our, our base, our member base, um, we doubled our membership that year. And I think it, a lot of it came down to just having somebody to be able to really put the time and the focus, um, into helping grow the organization. But that was kind of our next step was, you know, we've got a lot of climbing areas to manage. We've got a lot of, um, 
the organization is just at a point of growth. We need, you know, we need somebody here full time to kind of keep this thing running, keep this machine going and, um, and growing our members, our member base is a big part of that. So we went from 300 members to 700 members in just a few months, um, through member drives. And it was also our 20th anniversary that year. So, you know, we did a bunch of 20th anniversary parties in all the cities that we, um, that we work in and in every state. So, you know, Atlanta and Birmingham and Chattanooga and Nashville. And, um, so we were able to really engage with our community and kind of, kind of bring people in, which also helped us pay off that loan a lot faster because people got really psyched and donated a lot towards that. So that was a, a really neat time, especially all to be within the first few years of starting the, the job. Um, right. That's, that's a huge yeah. accomplishment. Um, can you, you said membership drives. Are you able to unpack this this re- membership recruitment a little bit more? I'm personally interested in that, and I'm sure other LCOs are curious with that. Yeah, I think a lot of I would I feel like a lot of climbing organizations probably have membership options. We've had right um, our our organization has been member focused since the beginning, and so the kind of the way you know we look at it is you know, yeah, you're, you're making a donation to support the areas you climb in. Um, and it's pretty minimal. I think our memberships and this could have changed, um, Andrea, but they were $35 mm-hmm. a year and it doesn't really, you know, you don't get any special access. Like everyone still gets to go climbing in all the climbing areas. Um, but you're kind of giving back to the organization that helps keep those climbing areas open for you. And um, we had, you know, different perks that came with that. You got a t-shirt, I think, if you donate at the $35 level. Um, and then we have some larger donation options for folks that have, maybe have a little more money to give. Um, our memberships were, an- their annual memberships. So they expire each year. And then you get a lot of perks with, we worked a lot with the climbing gyms, uh, retailers, there's even a few like restaurants that give discounts to SEC members. And um, so you get, you know, you can pay for your membership often with the discount that the gym offers <laughs> for SEC members. You know, it's like you can sometimes yep. make money <laughs> off of your membership by saving 10% on your $600 a year gym membership. <laughs> so, right, exactly. um, so things like that or the perks that people get that they're interested in, but you know, the way you, sell it may be the wrong word, but the way you sell it, people want to be a part of that. And, you know, it's kind of like you owe this to your community. It's, I think one of the misconceptions many people have about outdoor recreation in general um, is like, why would I, why should I pay for that? People get so mad about park fees and, you know, pay to park to go into any, you know, recreation area. And people don't understand how much it costs to keep those areas open. Right. Um, and I guarantee you, if any of those places were going to close because they couldn't afford to keep the doors open, people would probably be like, okay, all right, I'll pay the $5. Yeah. And they're um, not going to like speak up until like the resource is gone. Like, exactly. More proactive than reactive. Yeah. And when you break that down to, you know, the, the average climber that goes outside, you know, and you're going out t- dozens of times, maybe hundreds for some people, depending on your schedule every season. Exactly. Um, and you know, you break that down to dollars (laughs) and it's pennies. So what you're paying is, you know, per time of you going climbing, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, it could be a lot more if, if there were fees instilled. So I think people are starting to change their mentality about climbing should be free. Um, because it's just not free. (laughs) There's a, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think we got it. We got it pretty easy. We got off the hook there compared to mm-hmm. uh, going back to our conversation before we started recording about, or yeah, about about taxes and stuff. And and I mean, hunters and anglers have been paying taxes on their goods for years, decades, to for for land and water conservation and restoration and habitat improvement. And as climbers, we buy our gear and go. We pay we might pay a park fee or something, but. Besides that, we got it pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And our gear is not that expensive and it lasts a long time. So <laughs> Exactly. They are mountain bikes. It's like cost as much as a, as a car and you have yeah. to do maintenance on it every, you know, every month. <laughs> yep. When I'm sure some of that mentality goes back to that, you know, just that 
mentality you, you know you used to have to trespass a lot to go climbing and mm-hmm. climbing hasn't been socially accepted for such a long you know it's been a short amount of time that it's been socially accepted and right. um there was you know there were no coalitions and there were no um people out there advocating and i think that it kind of probably stems from that idea of like well we used to climb and just trespass you know it wasn't a big deal mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that climbing's grown so much, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and a lot more areas are under threat because of the amount of people that are out using them. Yep. Out with the old and with the new, things are just are just different. And that's that's the way it is. <laughs> so Denny Cove, let's let's dive into that. This is the largest acquisition project that the SCC has done. I I was not able to find a larger acquisition project that any LCO has done. Maybe I didn't dig deep enough, but this was a 600 and what, 670 acre property? Yeah, right about, about 680. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was huge. It was definitely our biggest project. Right. I don't know nationwide, but um, this is one that had kind of already started when I took over as ED. We still worked on it for about four years before we ever closed in as, with me as executive director. So it was a long, long-term project and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> um, it, you know, it started with a few climbers. I think they went to Zach Lashui with the access fund and said, man, you got to check this place out. And it, somehow this cliff line just managed to go under the radar for a long time. Um, as far as we still know, uh, no one ever really found it or thought anything of it if they did. And it was owned by a timber company. And so that started conversations with, you know, let's, let's see, how can we do this? You know, this is obviously a huge acquisition. So um, I think the land trust for Tennessee was pulled in some of the local, the local Riverview and Lynnhurst foundations were pulled in. Um, They do a lot of conservation funding and, it kind of built from there. Um, We needed, you know, it was a $1.2 million project. The biggest project at the time that SEC had ever done was (laughs) $80,000. So that was a huge burden to carry and quite scary, you know, and we ended up working with over 10 partners. Um, We got a significant, almost half the funding from the Open Space Institute, um, which was, that was, Mostly Zach, the SEC could can't get funding from them. Uh, Can I ask why? I think it was because I think it's because of we're not land trust accredited, land trust alliance accredited. I believe was the reason. Um, So Access Fund accepted that on our behalf, Mm -hmm. Um, and then we got funding from local foundations, the land trust for Tennessee, the state parks. Um, Their their portion was kind of they they purchased the property from the SEC essentially, and so that's what they kind of brought to the table. Yeah. So anyway, we worked with many partners um, at various funding levels, anywhere from I think $5,000 to $500,000 to get this project off the ground. And it took, you know, we went to the state and said, hey, we can't own this. It's huge. We can, but we don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to manage this thing long-term. This has a lot of potential to be a really cool addition to your park system and offer backcountry trails and um, different things that we can't provide. And the state was like, well, you know, we've got our hands full with Foster Falls. That place is so popular that, you know, we'd have to hire another staff person. So let us see if we can run that up the chain of command and get a staff person in. And so um, a year or so later, they said, all right, we've got the go ahead to hire someone. So, uh, you know, six months later, they were able to hire someone and start going through that process. So that was, you know, one big red, one big hurdle that we were able to jump over. Um, and then the funding was a big part of it. So finding the money to make it happen, um, that took a long time and a lot of grants and just a lot of partnerships and taking people out there and showing them how spectacular the property is and getting them excited about it. And, um and then about five years later, we got to the closing table. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a lot in between all of that with negotiations and sure, sure. Know, the, getting the environmental assessments done and uh, all of that takes time. But 
mm-hmm. we did it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I remember, yeah, I remember when uh, that announcement was made and I emailed Zach, I'm like, this is so cool. And I was really impressed. Yeah. However many years ago that was. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's crazy. It looks like a, a heck of a lot of climbing along cliff line. And I mean, what's the access like getting up there? Is it just like covered by like just hidden in the trees and just like well it was until we built a bunch of trails but yeah it's a cove it's this cove on the backside of this mountain um that's just not really foster falls almost butts up to it on one side and okay it's just a really large undeveloped section that doesn't have any like roads going around it so you just didn't really see it um it's, it's really cool but now we've got you know trails and parking lot and um, sure. access. And, right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say one other cool thing for the other LCOs, maybe listening to this that, um, helped, you know, with the, the daunting side of an acquisition this big, uh, you know, we knew we couldn't hold this property forever. It was just so much bigger than what we could manage. And yep. so when we found that partner willing to take the property from us, it was, you know, it was a pretty big leap. We got a lot of, you know, questions from the community because climbing is often something that's so threatened that for us to say, Hey, we're going to buy this property and then we're going to give it to the state (laughs) was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, why would you do that? You know, what are you talking about? You're going to buy it and give it away. Like this, you know, when historically the state has shut things down from us and um, it just made the most sense for the state to own it. It is state park worthy property and they were willing to, and we put, you know, we have agreements in place that they won't shut down the climbing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this state park in particular is very open to climbing because we keep one of their parks running pretty much. The climbers are the main users at Foster Falls. And so they, and they like climbers, you know, we've, we, we leave a good impact on people. And so right. going through that process was unique for us. We'd never done that before. You know, every property we've ever bought, we own. Um, so to turn around and give that to the state was uh, scary for a lot of people from the outside looking in. It wasn't so much for us because we'd gone through all this, you know, this whole process of how we're going to do this and sure. um, what it's going to look like. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was a really unique situation. Like you were talking about earlier, getting creative and thinking outside the box. Like when a project seems too big, it doesn't, it might be five years of work, but it's not necessarily too big, you know, that you can get really creative. Yeah, it's possible. It's feasible. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. What would you say your biggest takeaway is from your time with an LCO and what would you like to pass on to others, to other LCOs? Um, I think these questions kind of go hand in hand and that I think my biggest takeaway is something that I would love for other people to see um, that maybe aren't, you know, in the the governing, um, factions of a LCO is that, um, I, I learned a lot about what it takes to manage an LCO. Um, you know, not unlike other nonprofits, (laughs) (laughs) uh, protecting climbing areas requires like many active players, lots of different expertise. Um, and a lot of times like SCC LCOs aren't equipped to, to hire all these people. So, you know, we don't have, an executive director and a development director and a land manager and an accountant and an attorney and right. uh, real estate guy, you know, it's like, that's often one person or one person and a group of volunteers um, that are, you know, giving their time. And I don't think we quite understand what all goes into that unless maybe you've worked for a land trust or worked in conservation before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrea will probably talk about this Um as well. But I mean, you, you are everything from the social media manager to the grant writer to, you know, the, the project partner person to, (laughs) to dealing with the acquisitions and the stewardship projects, Mm -hmm. managing the fee properties. And you're also sometimes an accountant you have to make budgets and you have to file your taxes and do all these things that you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) Like this is nothing I've ever done before, but here we go. Um, (laughs) So you learn, you gain a lot of pretty valuable experience just in all factors of running an organization. You may not become an expert at everything, um, but you at least gain an understanding of 
every little piece of what it takes to run an organization because you kind of have to do it all. Right, right. You're competent in all those areas. Yeah, so I think it's just for other people or for um, a takeaway, something to pass on to other LCOs is lean on volunteers, especially volunteers with expertise. Like we have an accountant that helps us with all of our, or helps SEC with all of the, you know, payroll and billing. And it is an incredible thing that they do that as a volunteer because it's a, it's a pretty time consuming job. Right. Um, you know, and if you have those people really pour your time into them. And I know managing volunteers is another thing to add to that long list of <laughs> things you already have to do. Um, but if you can strategically, you know, when you're choosing board members, one thing I learned <clears throat> within a few years of being there was think a little bit more strategically of, yeah, you want people that are psyched and people that love climbing, but also consider people that might have an expertise in something that you need as an organization, Um, whether it be grant writing skills or accounting skills, or um, maybe they know how to deal with private and public, you know, landowners, whatever that could look like. Um, Be strategic in the people you work with because you need them. (laughs) Yeah. They're not necessarily climbers maybe, but they have. Yeah. Not always, you know, we talked about that too. Like sometimes, maybe they just have a passion for conservation and that's what sure. we are too. You right. know, we're, we are climbing conservationists, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what you're doing and they may not know anything about climbing and that to me is okay. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're a conservation organization, Exactly. but yeah. it's the, the subject matter, what sits at the center of it is it just happens to be rock climbing. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> awesome well thanks so much cody and uh congratulations again on the um, winning you. that award this year yeah i appreciate it yeah your leadership is uh is uh un or unmatched i think and and it really 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 shows so andrea how has your transition been into your new role as the ed well as you could hear i had really big shoes to fill i had a feeling you would see her to say that <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those cliche things to say, but um, as Cody identified, there are so many different uh, needs of this position um, within the organization where, as you've identified, we're a regional organization, so we operate across three states, um, and there's over 40 open to the public climbing areas within those three states, and then we own seven properties, uh, and then a couple more that were just recently acquired with the access fund. Um, and then we're steadily working to open up other areas, um, that I'll talk about in a little bit. So, you know, it's pretty complex, but if I were to answer the question directly, I'd say it's been challenging and really beautiful at the same time. Well, it's a, it's a very fine answer. There's some yeah. There's some comments on the uh, SCC's page. Like, I think I saw four comments. It was like, no one's better better fitted to, to fill this job now. And multiple people are really psyched, Andrea, that you were able to take the reins from Cody and then run forward this with the, with the organization. So, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, a bit of an intimidation because I hadn't lived in the South for so long. I went to college in South Carolina. Um, and I had worked in Chattanooga and the surrounding areas with the SEC when I was on the Access Fund Conservation Team. So I was familiar with the area and familiar, you know, I'd worked alongside Cody and Angie and Julie and Zach. Um, but, uh, you know, I still, one of the challenges has been establishing relationships with all of the different people that we work with throughout the region. There's so many people. Um, but with that, one of the most beautiful things has been the support that everybody's had, um, not just for me, but for the SEC. They really believe and identify and advocate for the work that we do. Um, and those roots run pretty deeply. And so uh, people are quick to do whatever needs to be done to take the time to share their stories and their insights and their experiences and their advice and their criticisms and all of that's been extremely helpful for me learning and growing and stepping into the position and continuing forward. How was, uh, how was your experience with the conservation team help aid in, in your role now as the ED? Have you been 
being able to take skills that you learn from there, working with land managers or other partners, volunteers, and now be able to apply them to your new position? Absolutely. Um, it, it was definitely extremely formative years that I pull from those experiences all the time. I mean, I'll often something will come up. Oh yeah, I saw that in San Diego, or there was a similar thing that I experienced in Wyoming or yeah, people in New England deal with the something similar, but different. Um, so I think that's really helpful just to put some things in perspective that we're not alone, that other organizations, other LCOs, other land managers have similar issues that we're all dealing with and that we can reach out and connect with them or we can pull from their experiences for mm-hmm. what to do or what not to do. Right. Yeah. Lean on each other. These problems are ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some unique issues, but yeah, you're not alone in what you're facing. Yeah. And I, I think that we talked earlier about creativity and funding, but I think creativity and problem solving was a skill that I definitely honed during my time with the access fund um, that, you know, constantly comes up and working with different partners has been really a valuable thing that during my time with the conservation team, you know, I was on the national team with Annabelle and every week we would go to a different place. So being able to find shared and common values and visions and goals with different people constantly um, was something that I still apply to this day, even though we're all in the relatively same region. um, We might be talking about a different climbing area, a different style of climbing, a different land manager, a different user group, um, a different local community. um, That's, you know, it was really valuable for me to practice those skills and hone them to be able to find common ground. Sure. Yeah. Because that's a great path forward. I, when I was talking to Noel about, about doing this episode, he, he rattled off like six or something, half a dozen land trusts that are around Chattanooga and some other conservation minded organizations. Can you uh, dive into that a little bit? Like who your, who your close partners are around the Chattanooga area? Yeah. I mean, Cody as an individual has been extremely uh, supportive and a great partner as well, just um, in shedding light about the organization and helping to get me connected with some of the different groups. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the organizations is the Land Trust for Tennessee, and they were really helpful in the acquisition with Denny Cove. Um, and another project that we're working on with a couple of other organizations, Sorba, which is a local mountain biking chapter in the North Chickamauga Creek Conservancy. That's a local water protection organization. We're working with them on opening up a new bouldering downhill mountain biking hiking property It'll be a county park uh, that's like 15 minutes from downtown Chattanooga. So, and the land trust of Tennessee as well. Um, So they've been really great. There's a, the Southeastern Conservation Corps um, is based in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. We've worked with them historically on doing conservation work and building access trails throughout the region. Um, I was just meeting yesterday with our, with Angie, our former conservation director, who's now at the Tennessee River Gorge Trust. Um, and they we lease a property from them because they uh, own the cliff and we lease it to make, keep it open to the public for climbing. Um, and they've got some other areas that have climbing on them. So we're in conversations with them and um, on gaining access for climbers to those areas. Um, and then there's a regional partnership called the Thrive Regional Partnership that has a National Treasures Alliance. And um, I've been looped in with them and going to their meetings, looking at conservation throughout the region. And there's a subcommittee specifically on recreation. Uh, so working with them currently on a project to do a survey of recreational uh-huh. use throughout our region to identify communities that are impacted by recreational user groups and awesome. opportunities to really promote and encourage and advocate for outdoor recreation and you know for us for climbing in the region but it was cool because within the first month of being in the position i was invited to a meeting about conservation planning in the sequatchie valley which is where denny cove and foster falls and castle rock are but uh, there's a lot of 
interest in conserving land within that region. And it just so happens to have a lot of climbing throughout that region. So it's really cool because we're now being invited to the table as an organization that can play a critical role in protecting conserving land throughout the Southeast. And yeah. Yeah. I was curious if that survey was going to inform something like that or provide some kind of uh, Mm -hmm. equity or yeah, equitable dynamic. Yeah. I was able to go to a meeting with Zach and a local bike tour company, VeloView Bike Tours, and the uh, regional tourism director, and then two county mayors. And we just sat down and talked about climbing. And, you know, I'm sitting here with the mayor of Sequatchie County and Marion County and just, and they, they get it. They're like, yeah, uh, climbing is really big and we would love you know, how can we work with you? How can we bring more climbers? And I remember one of the mayors was like, you know, we love climbers. Y'all come in here, you spend your money, you pick up after yourself. And, you, you know, <laughs> we'd love to have more climbers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, a corner store right next to the entrance of Denny Cove called Mountain Mart. And they sell, you know, fried foods and convenience items and guns and climbers go in there and (laughs) buy snacks on their way to and from (laughs) climbing. And they now sell climbing gear. They've got a little wall with carabiners and quick draws and um, they hang our signs whenever we have trail days coming up and support us. Um, They always give us free ice for our water jugs whenever we've got volunteers going out there. So yeah, they're, they're super supportive and they definitely see the value of climbers coming through. Great. That's awesome. That's a very heartwarming story. Yeah. Yeah. Those those little marks is like little general stores, you know, that are like by a a crag or something. Whenever I'm visiting somewhere, I'm like, I have to go check that out and see what's in there. Yeah. (laughs) There's like this, there's this bakery on the way into Index. Uh, do you, are you, either were you familiar with that? Yeah. I think so. I just went to Index after the Access Fund Summit. Yeah. Um, did, I, did I see you there? I'm not sure. I, I think I, I can't remember. Because I was there the day, I was there, the, yeah, two days after. Okay. I was there on Sunday. Oh, wait, I was there on Sunday. At the yeah. Lower Town Wall. Me too. You were with the whole group, right? Yes. Wait, I definitely saw you then. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, digress again, but yeah, that little bakery, <laughs> um, any kind of general store just has like, yeah, has this vibe to it that I just have to check out. Yeah. So that's really cool that they're on board and supportive and just providing so much, so many resources for you guys. And bringing um, economic impact into these rural communities. I think that's huge for a lot of these little small towns outside of Chattanooga. They're like, wait, how many people come to our town to rock climb every year? And where are they going when they finish? It's like, oh, they're driving to Chattanooga because there's nothing to do here. How can we keep them? You know, how can we get them to stay in our town and to spend money here? You know, and it's really crazy that they've, they now come to us and are looking to us as leaders in this recreation, outdoor recreation world, um, because they're starting to see how many people actually come to our region to climb. (laughs) That's right. Where uh, where would you say your current focus is right now, Andrea? Would it be on on Denny Cove? Could you or like your very robust stewardship program? I'm sure you got your hands in both. But what's uh, what are the current happenings and, and future happenings with Denny Cove? Yeah, so currently we're working to pay off the loan. Um, so as Cody mentioned, we have so many people coming together to meet that 1.2 million, but we were still left with a conservation loan that was about 150000 And uh, in the beginning of this year, we were at about 67000 remaining to pay on that loan. And we're now sitting just below forty. Right. Um, so th- we're getting into the final uh, fifth of the loan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've had some really great fundraising efforts. So that Filling the Void film, um, they did a film tour and they've raised almost $10,000 towards that loan. And awesome. our uh, current uh, BYOB, Buy Your Own Boulder Field, was the eighth <laughs> annual event. Uh, big silent auction and raffle and games. Um, we were able to knock off another 15000 towards the loan with that. And so, um, you know, we're kind of getting into the final pages on that note. 
And so that's really exciting to have the end in sight um, on that. And then with our stewardship efforts, we had another grant from REI this year to continue working out there. And we were out with the Access Fund for a little bit, working on access trails to Denny East on the way to the buffet wall. The buffet wall has this shale layer just below the rock. And so while it's steep enough that it doesn't get rained on directly, the shale is just continuing to break apart and erode away. Um, so we could let it, and then we would have 15 more feet of climbing. But um, <laughs> we're trying to stabilize it <laughs> and um, you know build, build some stable access trails going through there. And so... Yeah, we had a great National Public Lands Day weekend working with REI and the park. Two park rangers came out and worked with volunteers. And uh, we had support from High Point Climbing Gym. They did a cookout for us. And the Friends of South Cumberland got some folks out there. And we had over 80 volunteers come across over the weekend. Um, So that was really cool. And uh, some of the other projects I mentioned, the... Walden Ridge, newly named Walden Ridge, formerly named W Road Boulders, um, is a project that we're working with the several partners on um, that'll feature downhill mountain biking trails and bouldering and hiking trails. So our stewardship coordinator will be out there this winter working on stabilizing the base of the boulders, building some landing zones, and um, and then we'll be working towards the Sorba the local mountain biking group got an RTP grant for the trails. Nice. So that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. But the property sits below a popular road, um, which two things, one, uh, people just love to throw trash out the window. So it was covered Ugh. in trash. So we're steadily working to remove decades worth of trash off the property. We had the group from Flash Foxy Stewardship Project go out there and they collected 23 contractor bags full of trash. Awesome. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and the local TVA uh, employees came out and their work to pick up some trash and open up the access trails. And then secondly, we recently learned that uh, the uh, historic W Road goes through the property and so we're waiting to see if we might have some national historic registration uh, to occur. Uh, the trail actually goes right through where the boulders are, so that's kind of exciting. Wow, and that's really cool. Yeah, so that's so that's something that we'll wait to see. We might have a General Sherman apparently walked through the boulders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, I doubt he went climbing, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll, yeah, we'll wait to see how that progresses. Um, cool. We're also continuing our stewardship initiative at Sand Rock, like I mentioned earlier. And then one of the things that I've been working towards is doing a sort of resource inventory to inform a strategic plan for the region. As we've identified, we're a large region. We have many climbing areas. Um, and so Access Fund's given us a small grant to go through and inventory the climbing areas throughout the region, looking at everything from you know where we're parking and the signage and the staging areas to the access trails and what kind of policies do we have in place. So we're hoping yeah. to come out on the other end with a sort of database for all of those climbing areas and existing conditions and then use that to inform a strategic plan for the next three to five years and talking with a local university about um, using that to integrate with some GIS analysis of land use, land cover change and conservation values such as climate resiliency and watershed protection and kind of overlay all of that to kind of highlight what climbing areas exist within areas of high conservation values that we could focus our stewardship efforts on and then what areas that we are aware of existing climbing that we could work to focus our acquisition and access uh, priorities on that may, you know, provide some protection for climate resiliency. I, our GIS uh, technician who works with Thrive, and uh, he's the director of the GIS program at the local university, he informed me that uh, the climate resiliency uh, model for that ESRI, uh, our GIS, has put out 
really favors lands with high elevational change that are connected to other forested tracks. So yeah, that makes sense. Region, yeah, great. So uh, species have you know different elevations that they can uh, retreat to um, in the face of a changing climate, um, and you know so that they can be adaptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just so happens to be places that probably have rocks on them that we <laughs> might want to climb. So it's, uh, yeah, so that's kind of a little project that we're working on and looking at. That's amazing. I'm a big GIS nerd, so that, that piques my interest a lot. Yeah, I love GIS and I've been doing it a lot at work lately. So that's, I would love to see the final product of what you guys come up with there. That's so cool and just the, Oh, GIS, the, the, what you could do with that is just endless. Excuse me, just endless. Yeah, there's some crazy maps going on with this, the Thrive Initiative she was talking about. Um, it's really. Can you, where can, can you find that somewhere online? You know, it, I, yeah, I think there's some parts that aren't, but there's plenty that, that are publicly available. If you look up Thrive 2055 Chattanooga, you'll probably find. There's so many layers because it's got all, you know, the Thrive Initiative incorporates 12 counties. Is that right? Yeah, it might be 16. Yeah, and like tons of different organizations. And so it's got layers for trails, layers for forests, layers for grass. It's just got all this, these different layers and it's really cool. Yeah, and what they've done with Thrive is highlighted, you know, looking at large forested tracks uh, watershed delisting, uh, contaminated watersheds, opportunities for it. So there's like several parameters that they put into a model for conservation. And so I've just been talking with uh, Charlie Mix is the one who's head up the GIS part of, hey, how can we adapt that to look at climbing areas? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's pretty cool. So cool. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I pulled up their website, Thrive Regional Partnership. And they got a mention of the Southeast Climbers Coalition preserves and promotes access to rock climbing. I am going to do a lot more digging into this. This is really cool. And I'll be sure to link this up in the show notes so, so other folks can check this out. But man, I am so impressed by what you guys are doing. This is just get your hands in everything and so established in the just the partnerships and the stewardship work. I can't imagine how much stewardship work needs to be done across three states. I mean, the stewardship program's got to be just, yeah, super robust and, and strong. And and all the work you got to do is yeah, super impressive. Wouldn't it be possible without our great volunteers? Shout out Woo-hoo, to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, SEC has like 26 area reps. So they're individuals that are ambassadors for the oh, climate okay. area. Cody, do you know how long the area rep program like when that started? You know, I think it's been around since the beginning as well, um, or pretty early on. I think they because it's such a big region. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something they they had state reps and area reps for a long time. Yeah, so we've got area reps that run their own stewardship projects. We've got one at Kerry Mountain in Georgia this weekend, and another one at Kings Bluff. Um, our stewardship coordinator was funded by REI to go up there and look at one of our properties in North Tennessee. But um, yeah, they're really great and, you know, super supportive and help keep an eye on the property, help share information, help with me, maintain relationships with land managers. And I don't really know what's going with that. I just wanted to give them a shout out. It helps <laughs> that we have really strong community support as well but you know right of course a lot of organizations and even companies and people that move here moving here for the outdoors and that like thrive that's such a crazy unique um, opportunity to be able to work with I mean because that's in Tennessee Alabama and Georgia as well and again it covers like 15 counties and for all these people to buy into this idea of where we want to be you know and when this started in 50 years um is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. I've never heard anything anything like this before. So yeah. All right. Well, I think that can we can end on a very good note there. Uh, thank you both again for taking an hour of your time to come have a chat and just inform me about what the SCC is doing and what you guys have been doing. Cody, again, congratulations. Andrea, congratulations on taking over for this position, and I wish the best of luck to the both of you in your new in your new positions. Thanks. Yeah. And big thanks to the Access Fund for 
helping support, or I think they help support these podcasts and they sure do. also for, for giving awards like, you know, the, the leadership awards and the, um, I don't know, it helps, you know, kind of give people a little bit of recognition for some of the things that they've helped with or done. And it's really cool to be a part of that. And also to see other people, you know, I don't necessarily feel worthy to get those awards sometimes, but it's really cool to see people um, get recognized for the hard work they do. All right, there it is. Everything you might need to know about climate advocacy in the Southeast. Thank you again to Cody and Andrea for filling us all in on that. It was very informative and really impressed by what you all got going on down there and what you've accomplished in the past. And I hope all of you listening were able to take all of that in. If not, go have another listen or two. And be sure to share this with your friends and whoever you might think might get some value out of it. Whoever you think might need to know about anything advocacy related with their LCO. Tag them, share it on your Instagram, share it on your Facebook, share it far and wide. Um, This thing is getting bigger. I've been looking at the analytics a little bit and it's it's worldwide. There's there's listeners coming in across the world. Taiwan seems to be, uh, it seems to be pretty popular in Taiwan, which is kind of surprising, but very cool at the same time. So I haven't been uh, too shameless recently. In the, uh, in the conclusion of these episodes here, asking for much support. So I'm going to do it again right now. Please leave a review, leave a comment on iTunes, and share, share, share as much as you can. Ratings, review, and reviews help me a lot. So help me help you. Let's keep this thing going. And I look forward to chatting with uh, my, our next guest for episode 14 next month. I hinted at what the conversation might look like, what the subject matter is going to be, and I look forward to having you all tune in then. I'll see you all later.